Good morning, Christ community. It's good to be here to sing to our King together, um, and good to just spend some time in the Word a little bit, learning all about what Christmas really is all about. And I hope today uh, your eyes will be open to something maybe you just haven't considered before. It's certainly been a, a kind of a neat time preparing this. But before I dig in, I've got a couple things to share with you. First of all, Christmas Day. It's a, it seems like in the evenings the uh, movie theaters are filled with people. Well, there's a movie coming into the area. The movie is called Unbroken. It's going to be up at Wheelersburg Cinemas, and I want to invite you to, sometime through the holidays, make sure you get there to see that movie. Unbroken is, is a an account of a gentleman who was an Olympic athlete who ended up in World War II and all the difficulties that he went through. Um, the book is absolutely outstanding. Matt has referenced it a couple of times in his teachings. And uh, I'll just give it to you this way. I, no, I won't because I'm afraid of I'll be the spoiler and I don't want to be that. So you need to go see it. Uh, the, the movie Unbroken, and there are certainly Christian overtones in this. I don't know how Hollywood will deal with that part of it. That will be interesting, but I hope you will see it uh, uh, based on a true story. Um, second thing I need to tell you, at the, at the turn of the year, we are going to be starting three different Bible studies that I need you to be aware of. The first one is a Bible study entitled Love and Respect. It is for couples, specifically couples 18 to 35, but if you're older, you're welcome to that. If you're married and younger, you're weird, um, but you come. Uh, I hope there's nobody here in that boat right now. Uh, and then, I w if, if, you're, if you're engaged, you need to be there. If you're considering, uh, if you're in a relationship and you're considering that relationship going further, you need to be there. Brandon and Amber Pate will be leading that video-based Bible study, Love and Respect. It's just six weeks. And, and if you would like to participate, and I hope you will, right at the end of the ramp in the atrium, there's a table to your left, and you can sign up for it right there. There's a, there's a pretty good number of people who have already signed up, but, but I don't want to leave anyone out, so I invite you to do that. And then there's also going to be a Bible study for the ladies that will start at the first of the year on Thursdays, Thursday morning, Thursday evening. It's entitled, What is Love? And it also is a six-week course Ladies, I want to invite you to get signed up for that as well there in the atrium. And then for the guys, because we're not leaving you out, men, Bob Egar teaches a Bible study on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., and it's a really good way to kick off the day. Uh, this, for, for, the, for a few weeks into the new year, he's going to start out teaching uh, finances God's way, and I'm simply going to tell you he's going to get into your back pocket. You're not going to be comfortable, but you know what? As followers of Jesus, knowing that Jesus wants control over every area of our lives, that's one of the areas we need to learn about. So how does God view finances? How can we use our finances to bring glory and honor to him? And so I want to invite you to get involved in those Bible studies. 
because we're all about once you come to faith in Christ, getting you to that place where you grow in your relationship with Christ. And then last, before we dig in, I want to introduce to you some guests we have this morning. And every year, the uh, Trinity Lodge Number 9 that Gary Hairston and Ralph Clay belong to, they, they, they go around to different churches and they, they support the churches of the community. And, and there are guests this morning, and I would like for you to welcome them. Men, if you would please stand, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. God is good, you know. He is. And, and I want to start today by opening the Scriptures to John chapter 1. I'll read verses 1 to 14. And then we're jumping in. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him... Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth." Now, if you'll take your outlines that are in your bulletin, I want to I start by simply making this statement, and this statement is absolutely critical to us understanding God and understanding why Jesus was coming to the earth. Why is there a Christmas? Why is there a birthday celebration of the Son of God coming to earth? Tonight or today when you leave here, I hope you understand the why. I hope this really makes sense to you. The first thing I want you to know is this. God was not and is not reactionary. Jesus has always been the plan. You see, I, I have shared this before, but, but the, the way I was taught and the way I was raised, I, I just simply viewed God as a God who really couldn't control His creation. I believe that He created it, I just wasn't sure how he could control it. And so my, my picture of God was after he created and put Adam and Eve in the garden, and Adam and Eve disobeyed him and sinned, I pictured God just putting his hands on his forehead going, oh my gosh, what have I done? It's a failure. 
And, and then he lets it go for a while, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so he's, he's thinking, okay, what can I do? What can I do to fix this? I'll tell you what, I'll start all over. I'll just simply send a flood, and I'll wipe, wipe them all out, except for one family, Noah and his family, and they can start over, and maybe everything will be okay. God going, maybe everything would be okay. And so... I, I picture God sending the flood, and I picture Noah and his family coming out of the ark after being in the ark, cooped up with animals for a year, and he builds an altar, and he gets plastered. He, just, he, he gets loaded, drunk, and, and laying there in his tent, naked. All, all kinds of wrong things take place, and, and it doesn't fix the problem. And somehow I see God going, oh, no, what's happening I mean, I meant this for good, but, but this is really turning into a mess. And then, then I see God raising up a nation and saying, okay, what I'll do, uh, instead of just raising up a family, I'll raise up a whole nation, and this nation will represent me to all the nations, and then the world will know that I'm God. But yet that nation failed, and when that nation failed, then I see God just wringing his hands again. And, and he's going through his mind, okay, let's see, I, just, I tried a simple one-rule thing, I tried a flood. I, I tried a nation. What else can I do? I, I, I know what I, I guess. I guess I could just send my son. Maybe if I send my son, they'll, they'll take care of, they'll get it, they'll understand. But that's not how it was. God is not reactionary. God was not surprised when we rejected him. He knew we would reject him. And so from the very beginning, from even before the very beginning, God had already put it in place that he was going to send his son to die. He was the plan. Jesus was and still is the plan. Now, if you, if you look at a couple of scriptures with me, um, and, and they'll be on the overhead here, in Revelation chapter 13, just the last half of, of verse 8, we simply come across this statement referring to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who was slain before the creation of the world. So here you have Jesus, the Lamb of God, who has been killed before the creation of the world. The plan had been put into place before God even spoke anything into existence. Jesus is the plan. And then you'll see where the plan is announced to mankind. It's announced right after the first sin. Right after Adam and Eve rebel against God, God announces that his son is coming. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> so, the Lord said, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now look at this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, her offspring. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So in this one little announcement in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve sin, God says that from the offspring of this woman is coming one who is going to crush the head of the serpent. 
Now, that's a huge deal. I just want you to understand that, that Jesus wasn't an afterthought. He was the thought. He wasn't, he wasn't a plan D or E. He was plan A from the very beginning. Now, here's what's cool. This, to me, just this blows me away. Now, I'm a pretty simple-minded guy, and, and so you may sit there and go, Wow, Rick, you're pretty simple-minded for this to blow you away, but this blows me away. God gives us, hundreds of years before it even happens, He gives us details of the plan to send His Son. Now, what I'm going to do for for the next couple moments is I'm going to lay out for you eight of those details. Now, these just aren't prophecies. These are prophecies that are detailed prophecies. Check these out, and and I want you to jot these down in your bulletin because I want you to grab this. And by the way... I'm not going to be reading all of the verses. Here I'm going to read you eight verses. You'll notice in your outline you have a number of Scripture references. The reason we put those there is because we don't want you to ever get to that place where you go, well, they said it, so we believe it. It must be true. I really love what a pastor out in California said a long time ago. He would stand in his pulpit, well-respected pastor, great Bible teacher, and he would say, First thing he'd say, I don't want you to believe anything I'm about to tell you just because I said it. I want you to search the Scripture and see if what I say lines up with the Scripture. If it doesn't, then it's simply my opinion. And if it's my opinion, my opinion bears no more weight than your opinion. But we're talking about the Word of God and we're talking about issues that deal with God. And so we want to know that these things are true. We want to know, as Scott has, has over and over set out before us, book, chapter, verse, book, chapter, verse, book, chapter, verse. And if you can't give it, then just admit it and say, you know, this is my opinion. All right, here we go. First thing we find out, and we've already looked at this verse. I just want you to put this down. A sin conqueror is coming. A sin conqueror is coming. We saw that in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, the the verses I just read. A sin conqueror is coming. He's on his way. He's going to crush, conquer the serpent. Okay, second thing. Look at what Genesis 49, verse 10 says. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from, from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. And so we learn that this sin conqueror is going to be coming through the tribe of Judah. And we go, you know what, we don't really like that because Judah was kind of a jacked up dude, you know. We think he should come through Joseph because Joseph was a faithful guy, but he doesn't. He comes through Judah. And not only tells us that he's he's a sin conqueror coming from Judah, he tells us, look in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This child, this this coming one, is going to be born of a virgin. And I thought Matt did an outstanding job two weeks ago talking to us about the virgin birth and why that is important, why it is central to what we believe. The The fourth thing we find out is not only would he be born of a virgin, but he would be born in a little town called Bethlehem. We see this in Micah 
chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Bethlehem. Bethlehem wasn't any influential city. Bethlehem was a a small town. Bethlehem was Lucasville. I mean, this prophecy is like saying, I live there, so I can say that. This prophecy is like saying, out of you, Lucasville, is coming one who's going to change the world. And we go, really? Oh, we got to prison. Uh, Okay, I'll go on. Jeremiah 31, verse 15. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. And so in this fifth prophecy, after this one is born of a virgin and and this one is born in Bethlehem, there is all of a sudden going to be this great sorrow. And and there's, there's going to be, in this great sorrow, there's going to be all kinds of death. Mothers weeping for their children as Rachel would weep for her child. And if you know the story, you know that King Herod just absolutely despised the idea that a king would be born out of Bethlehem and he placed an order that all babies would be killed. And then we go on. Look at what Hosea 11.1 says. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I've called my son. So this child who's going to be born in Bethlehem, there's going to be some kind of event where there's going to be all kinds of weeping. And because of that weeping, this Mary and Joseph who had this baby, they're going to be forced to go to Egypt to escape the wrath of the king. And so now out of Egypt comes the son, okay? And that's, that's Jesus. So he's going to come out of Egypt. Look at Isaiah 11, chapter 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. I'm not going to go into detail here, simply just to tell you this. What does this have to do with Jesus? It's simply what it means is that he's going to be raised in Nazareth. How do you get Nazareth out of a verse like that? Well, here's how you get Nazareth out of a verse like that. Nazareth was known as the shoot town. The reason it was known as the shoot town is because it was littered with shoots of the trees that were all through the area. And so when, a, when someone would go through the area, they would see all these shoots coming up out of the ground, all of these plants coming up out of the ground, seeking to become trees. And people would go, Nazareth's nothing but a shoot town. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay, we go on. You guys are going, Rick, you are simple. Uh, Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Look at this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee and the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire." 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from, the time, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And I want you to write down simply this. This is that announcement that a child is going to be born unto us. Unto us. Now listen. Here's just eight. Eight prophecies. Eight prophecies regarding the birth of Jesus. Eight. And I get to thinking, what are the odds that that would happen? What are the odds that one person would fulfill eight prophecies written about them? Not prophecies that were written the day before, but prophecies that were written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. They even came on the scene. What are the odds of that happening? Well, let me, let me, let's talk in our language for a second. If you play Powerball, you don't win. It's just a cheap $5 million, $6 million. It's not worth standing in line for. When it gets to that 200 and some odd million, it's like, you know what? I might swing by. The odds of you winning that are one. Now, I've got this in your bulletin. I want you to write this down. Here's the odds of you winning Powerball. One in 175,223,510. There you go. So here's what I'd like for you to do. If you're a Powerball player, the next time you want to go buy something, give me your money. I'm telling you, I'll use it. Okay, you want to throw it away, you throw it away. I'll use it. So we look at that and we go, that's, that's crazy. Those are crazy odds. People play it all the time. Well, somebody's got to win it, though. I, I got a chance where there's, where there's breath, there's hope, you know? And so there's your odds. So here's a question then. What are the odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies written about them, not yesterday, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before? I am not a mathematician, obviously. My son is, my son's a math geek. My son-in-law, excuse me. Jeremy sort of was. John wasn't even close. Uh, Matt's a math whiz, a math geek. And I, I was writing some stuff back and forth to him. There was a guy in the 60s who wrote a book. And the book is entitled, Science Speaks. The guy who wrote the book is is a mathematician. And so he, he uses equations, he uses his logic, he uses, he uses reason, he uses statistics, and he took this whole idea of prophecy and prophecy being fulfilled and the odds of one person actually fulfilling those prophecies. The guy's name, Peter Stoner. Now, the only ones who chuckled right now are those who were raised in the 60s and 70s because we go... <laughs> That's an appropriate name for someone raised during that time. Though those of you who are 90s and you're 14 and under, you're going, what are they chuckling about? I don't even understand. Anyway, talk to your parents. Okay. 
The odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies is one in 100 quadrillion. And here's what that number looks like. Looks something like that anyway. It's just one with about 18 zeros running behind it. One in a hundred quadrillion. Okay. Now, here's the thing. The details about Jesus weren't given to us just about his life and his birth. But the Bible gives more detail about this Jesus, his mission, what he was all about. And I want you to catch this. And I'm just going to fly through this. We're not going to look at the Scriptures again. This is one you have to look at the Scriptures on. Here's the next eight, okay? Number one, he's going to be beaten beyond recognition. Write that down. He's going to be beaten beyond recognition. Number two, he's going to be crucified Number three, he's going to be rejected. Number four, the killers are going to gamble for his clothes. Number five, he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Number six, he would rise from the dead. Number seven is he would be the source of justifying many. And number eight, he would pay for the sin of many. Now, I know we just flew through those. I just want to make a point here. I want, you to, I want you to understand Christmas in a whole different light. Because all of these things I just read, if you've been raised in church, you're going, yeah, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know that, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But these aren't things that had happened yet. These are things hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened that it was prophesied about this one. So Jesus not only fulfilled those eight prophecies that we first looked at in being born, he fulfills these eight prophecies that we just looked at. And we saw that the odds of him fulfilling eight prophecies was one in a hundred quadrillion. What are the odds of, of one person fulfilling 16 prophecies? The odds of a person fulfilling 16 prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th power, okay? So that, that's what the number looks like. There's the odds of one guy fulfilling 16 prophecies, not written yesterday, but written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. And then I want to keep going just for a second. So what are the odds then of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies? The odds of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies is 10 to the 157th power. This is what it looks like. This is crazy. I mean, the, the odds of one person being able to do that, there is only one way it could possibly happen. That person had to be God. This is the only way. It could. And by the way, the largest number known to man, well, no, for a while the largest number known to man was called a Google, one followed by a hundred zeros. Now I'm going to sound like a nerd to you. Don't worry about it. I'm still simple. Um, it, this is the stuff that just blows my mind. One to the hundredth power used to be the greatest number known. 
In Peter Stoner's book, he says that in the universe, all the particles that make up the universe is one followed by 80 zeros. All the particles in the universe, one followed by 80 zeros. The odds of a guy fulfilling 48 prophecies is one followed by 157 zeros. Now, this is what I want you to get. Jesus didn't just fulfill eight prophecies, nor did he just fulfill 16 prophecies. He didn't even fulfill 48 prophecies. Jesus, this one person, fulfilled 353 prophecies. 353 None of it spoken the day before about him. All of it spoken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. And so the next time you go up to a store and you go, I'd like to buy a Powerball. And you already know you're not going to win because the odds are so against it. Remember when you lay that dollar bill down. Remember that for Jesus to come and for one man to fulfill all of the prophecies written about him, there isn't even a number to describe the odds. This had to truly be the Son of God. Had to be. There's no other explanation There's no other way it could have happened. Wasn't a shot in the dark. As I said when we started, God's not reactionary. It was the plan from the beginning. Now, I want you to go with me over to John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. The last thing I have in your outline here is simply this. So God putting a plan like this together... God reaching out to his people who have rebelled against him, sending his son, you would think that the world would absolutely reach up to him and say, thank you, God, for coming. Thank you for giving yourself to us and for us. But that's not what happened. Look what John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 says. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. And then this, and this to me is the saddest verse of Scripture. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And you may be asking, okay, Rick, wait a second. Let me get this right. God creates a world that he already knows is not going to accept him. He creates a world in which he already knows they are going to reject him and he is going to send his own son and kill his own son for his world. And I say, yeah, that's what he's going to do. And then you would have to ask, why would he do something like that? Why would he do something? Because this guy wouldn't do it. If, if all I was asked to do was to kill my son for the congregation of Christ's community, you guys are without hope, okay? Because I'm not killing my son for you. 
And what I know is you're not killing your son for me. So why would God, who, who sets all this in motion and knows it's all going to rebel against him, why would he do it? I want you to watch a video with me. The video is what we call the spoken word. Just a young man who's going to be sharing something rather profound. And I think then we'll understand the why. Let's watch. Two thousand years ago, in a quiet village, on a solitary night, a single birth happened that changed the course of history. Our history. Your history. For a child was born. Unto us. To us, the sinful, the irreligious, the unholy, a child is born. Unto us, the broken, the empty, the wounded, the disregarded, the liar, the thief, and the cheater, a child is born. To us, the sex addict, the drug user, the alcoholic, the people pleaser, the world lover, the racist, a child is born. Unto us, the drug dealer, the crackhead, the porn addict, the child molester, the wife beater, a child is born. To us, the drag queen, the gender confused, and the homosexual. To the American dreamer, the fundamentalist, and the religious. Unto us, the God-hater, the God-mocker, the church-goer, the truth-seeker, the law-abider, and the celebrity-chaser. To us, the terrorist, the murderer, the rapist, the money-lover, the materialist, and the greedy. To us, the glutton, the lazy, the prideful, a child is born. To us, the worrier, the fearful, the cowardly, the adulterer, and the embezzler. Unto us, the unwed mother, the fatherless, the motherless, the depressed, the poor, and the wealthy. To us, the jealous, the unforgiving, the gossiper, the godless, the control freak, and the idol worshiper. Unto us, the prostitute and the preacher, the judgmental and the heretic, the Sunday school teacher and the CEO. To us, the young, the old, those that were and those that will come from generation to generation. Unto us, for all mankind, a child is born. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. For the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. He would go through all that trouble because you and I were broken. We weren't in a right relationship with him. And so in his love, a love that we cannot even begin to fathom, he killed his own son for you. He could have stepped in at any time. As I shared last week, he could have just stopped it. 
but he didn't so that you in your brokenness, me in my brokenness, could be made right again with God. That's big stuff. And I'll tell you what, God's doing some big stuff right now. This week I'm, this past week I was sitting at my computer and just jumped on and someone sent me a message. Hey, Rick, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm going through a rough patch right now. Comma. I need to get saved. And I wrote back, when and where? We got together that day. And that man humbled himself before Jesus and was put in a right relationship with God. Shortly after that, I get another message. I don't understand all this stuff about forgiveness. But it's time for me to get baptized. It's time for me to follow Jesus. That's good stuff. Because when you realize that you're broken, when you realize that you cannot do this on your own, and then when you realize that someone did it for you, all you can do is humble yourself, repent of your sin, and turn to your Savior. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate what happened in a manger. That's why we celebrate, because we know that this baby is going to grow up. And in living a perfect life, this baby is going to be made a sacrifice for you and for me. It's no wonder Paul would write, how can we reject such a great salvation? And isn't that true? How can people reject that? People call it narrow. I call it love amazing. So I simply will close with this. I want to ask you. I want you to know if you are in a right relationship with God. And the only way that you can be in that right relationship is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And so when, when we pray, when we bow our heads, I want you to take the time right there just to, just to ask God to forgive you of your sin. If you desire to know Him, if you desire to be in a right relationship, I want to ask you to invite Him to come and live in you and acknowledge Him for who He is, the Son of God, sacrificed for your sins, raised from the dead, and ready to make you right with God again. And if you do that, then when this service is over, before you scat out of here, listen, I just want you to come up and say, hey, hey, listen, Rick, I got saved today. I just want you to, you need to tell somebody. I want you to tell me for sure. 
It's news to announce. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you so much that against all odds, we can't even fathom the idea that you would send your own son to your creation to have him die for us. But yet, Father, we humbly thank you for that gift. And we may not be able to reason through all of our questions and, and have them all answered to satisfy us, but, but I ask, Lord, that you would help us to reach out to you in faith, believing that you are the Son of God, that you are our hope. And Lord, I pray for those in the congregation this morning. I pray that, that if there are those here who are just desiring to be in that relationship, that they'll do what those, those two men did this past week. <clears throat> that they'll reach out to you. And they will come to know you as their Savior and their King. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for coming as a baby and dying as a man for us. In your name I pray, amen.